0: Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is a delight to have you all here this Labor Day weekend. I apologize for not uploading as frequently. I've been on and off doing projects, gathering some more reference work for the editing of my book, and most importantly, I've been trying to stutter less whenever I speak. In case you haven't been able to tell after listening to the past few episodes, there are times where the animation or the audio can get a bit choppy, and yes, I apologize for that. As fun as it is to make up stuff on the fly, it's also deceptively impossible to do. And especially if you're someone like me, you have a very hard time not reading from the script. Now, with that being said, I want to thank each and every one of you for being here, sticking with it. You guys are absolutely fantastic. I love all of you. I love my audiences in... What do I have here? Germany. I got some people in Australia. I see my folks over in Canada. I love you guys. Uh, with that said, we're going to wrap up the next part of chapter 23, and we might even poke our heads a little bit into 24. Since I haven't uploaded in a while, I figure I'll make this episode just a little longer, make the most out of it before I go on another break. With that said, let's jump right into this episode. Hope you enjoy. king of hell resided in his throne room, deep in thought. The space itself was pouring with tones of vile and evil, the walls bursting with hellish patterns and symbols. Candles lining the tables, floor, and walls burned brighter in the setting sun outside, as Lucifer's eyes slowly drew open. He had been pondering the curious incident that had occurred earlier that morning, with the fated death of the sin-hunter. Deciding that enough was enough took more courage than bargained for, but Lucifer eventually settled on a concept. When his eyes opened fully, they flowed with an eerie pink light. His embellished cloak flapped in the wind behind him, flowing around his arms and shoulders like blood-red waterfalls, as Lucifer began to mutter strange enchantments, and even more disturbing symbols appeared from the dark. O great gods of nightmare and sorrow, whoso bled, stole, and tore ravenously at those who opposed thy thoughts, bestow unto me this newborn wish. The room began to grow much darker than before, so dark, in fact, that not even the amethyst flames from the candles around the room could bring any light. They gave off only enough illuminescence to announce themselves to anyone curious enough to find them. Lucifer's mind hammered within his skull, but he only held the pain aside, focusing his efforts on the dead body in the center of his chamber. "'Gods of hell, gods of blood, through your power I rise to challenge the word of those too weak and sympathetic to ascend!' he roared, his voice shaking the whole of the mansion. Winfrey, who sat downstairs, engaged in a game of hellish chess with Lillian, paused to look up at a few stray specks of dust from the shaking ceiling. The pieces on the chessboard resembled a variety of demons in Hellspawn, each with something to distinguish one from another. Even the bishop was grisly and horrifying to gaze upon, with nightmarish teeth, horns ripping through its tattered hat, and its robes slashed and scarred by flame and demonic arms. Hmm. Looks like your husband is attempting another Lazarus ceremony. Lillian smiled and moved her knight forwards to block well-placed bishop. Not attempting to, Winfrey. You should know by now that whatever my husband desires, he gets. The imp butler nodded and swept the board with his rook, knocking away Lillian's pawn. Ah, of course. I'll need to remember that. And please, Lillian, you think too little of me. The house glowed with a strange sort of light, and at times it felt like the mountain which the great palace was seated upon gave a pulsing, throbbing sensation, like a nightmare heart of sorts. Lucifer, still within his throne room, continued to chant, summoning dark clouds and spirals of pink flame from beneath his cloak. The stripes across his suit and hat glowed with hellish light, and beneath his brim, scarred and battle-worn horns protruded from the brim, tearing through the order, giving way to the chaos. But in the center of the room, the lifeless corpse of the sin-hunter dummy, once a er, a fierce and unforgiving bandit king, began to twitch ever so slightly lifeless, dull grey trench coat and muddy brown highlights began to flicker. And eventually, Lucifer's might straining with the fury of all hell itself upon his back, he achieved what so many believed to be impossible, and by accident, too. He had created life, giving birth to something from what should have been nothing. Because Azazel had, in all sense of the term, given just an empty shell, a vessel to be filled. But Lucifer had created life from this death, something that would later come back to haunt him forever. Perhaps, perhaps not. As the new figure, empty of mind, weak of head, knelt before Lucifer, they struggled to move their head, confused. When their lips moved beneath their cloak face, no sound emerged. But the King of Hell wasted no time, despite his worn and tired state, in summoning blades from the ground, which impaled and cut through the dummy. Then reborn life gasped for air as they were flung into the sky. The King of Hell shot a hand upwards, tentacles emerging from behind the windows and tapestries on the ceiling. They bound the near-lifeless figure, and Lucifer motioned with his hands to a gripping possession. The tentacles followed suit, locking around the dummy's waist and neck. "'You have caused me enough trouble, yet death is not your escape, my friend.' Lucifer pulled his hands and fingers apart, and an ear-splitting crack echoed from the ceiling as the sinner fell to the floor, neck and waist severed from their body. I would not be so merciful if I allowed you death at the hands of some commoner. No, you will be punished for your pathetic plans and escapes. The newborn Hellspawn had experienced some of eternity's truly worst. Only moments after rebirth into a world so cruel and inhospitable it should be ripped apart, slowly, painfully. And when the blood-soaked tapestries oozed with the impostor's remains, redecorated in a twisted sense, Lucifer's cloak was all that remained. His nostrils flared with smoke, and even as his horns disappeared back beneath his white brim, and his eyes regained their magical, sparkling amber, amber color, everything began to grow light again. But the king of hell was surprised once more to find himself unfit? Unsatisfied would have been a more suitable term, but Lucifer found the concept of being unworthy of killing someone disturbing to the point of insanity. He returned to the floor, his shoes clicking against the carpet, and the glowing symbols faded into the quickly diminishing mist. The candles on the tables, the walls, and the floor all returned to their shades of ugly blues and oranges, and Lucifer was left alone in the cold and silence. His cloak brushed aside to reveal the vanished vacancy of his striped, more formal attire, and he now boasted his true form. A flowing cloak lined his plaited shoulders with artfully displayed pink flames coursing through his black and white highlighted suit. It had something of an eccentric flair to the theme, while the only problem that wasn't armored was his striking white top hat, which still retained its display of feathers, flora, and other artful touches on the pink and white hat. The synod. So why doesn't it feel like I've won? Lucifer snarled, and pushed past the damaged ritual, kicking the broken fedora to one side of the room. He threw the great doors to his house aside, exiting the throne room. Only worse off than before. He threw open the doors out into his mansion again. <sighs> I need to remove the number of doors that are in this house. The king of hell grumbled. Somewhere off in the depths of his home, a stray window allowed a breeze from the north. Lucifer stopped in the hallway, putting a hand to his forehead as he rubbed his eyes. These days, these weeks, and months, why do they lie just out of reach, as if to torment me further? I am Lucifer Morningstar, the embodiment of all things evil and sinful. So why? He growled, dragging a bladed hand across the wall. His nails left a werewolf-like marking as he slowly made his way further into the mansion, down what seemed endless halls and staircases, keeping his hand on the wall. Why do my senses adhere me to failure's cold embrace? I should never be denied something so outrageously childish as one foolish mortal soul. The King of Hell removed his hand from the wall and shifted to an upright position, sucking in their breath as they tucked their arms into another's sleeves and he strode down the tunnel, the floor beneath his feet growing colder and darker with every step. After more walking, past the hall of hellish flames and trophy rooms, Lucifer stopped outside of one particular room, not even turning to look, almost instinctively halting beside his prize. The king of hell turned his head up and tilted it, allowing his sorrowful eyes access to a large, velvet-trimmed door. Here, looming above the king of hell, was twelve inches of solid, reinforced steel. Forged from the minds in envy and imbued with a security system so advanced, you would be considered a legend for even touching the door handle. But Lucifer brushed these circumstances aside and pushed in through the door into the dark, windowless room. Wires traced across the wall, blinking occasionally, and indicating the vast technology that helped to guard the iron safe. But Lucifer had eyes only for his master weapon. Propped neatly on a scarlet display case in the center of the room, and seated upon an altar with spikes protruding from the sloped pillars that ran in between the steps up, was a single, shimmering pistol.
1: Visually, this
0: small box of explosions and ammunition looked like any gun you could buy or steal from a center off the streets, outside and even above ground. But this hand pistol was something unique, and far more so than any other weapon it hell. In fact... I've only actually told you about one other type of gun that comes close to this. Lucifer tapped the gemstone in his scepter on the altar, and the glass casing around the weapon hissed open, slowly, gently descending from its watchful guard. The King of Hell reached past the lowering case, and he wrapped his fingers around the handle, lifting the gun from its innocent cradle. A weapon forged by contract and blood, from the higher beings of the known Eldritch universe This pistol was capable of delivering swift, sometimes unjust, but always permanent death. Even if you were lucky enough to feel God's warm embrace or hell's cold chains against your soft, unprepared flesh, this pistol could kill even the strongest of souls that dwelled in our possible reality. It could not run out of ammunition, nor was it hard to use. But Lucifer turned with the pistol, pointing the barrel right down at the wall opposite him. His breathing grew to a shudder and his eyes closed tight before his finger wrapped around the cool, polished plastic of the trigger. And he squeezed. At once, the gun's barrel exploded with bullets, and they fired only as long as the trigger was held shut. The King of Hell spun around with the gun in his hand, keeping his feet from slipping on the floor, letting the heavenly carved bullets tear into the wall like the teeth of some great beast. As Lucifer fired off the endless barrage of artillery, he whipped his hand around to a stop, letting his clenched fist hang for a moment. The air once again began to feel cold and silent, the only noise to fill the empty void of the silence being Lucifer's breathing. This was something of self-therapy to the king, shooting away his feelings and worries in a burst of energy. The king of hell sighed, looking at his pistol and watching his distorted reflection in the sleek, polished white flames riding along the pink and black base. Much better. Lucifer smiled once again and returned the pistol to its delicate pedestal before striking the earth with his scepter's end and exiting the room. The glass case closed around its precious reward, and lasers flooded the room, pulsing from the blinking lights on the wall. Chapter 24. An Acquaintance Made, A Secret Forged Dr. Cynthia Florence walked calmly through the glowing hallway, its plexiglass tunnels illuminating the buildings and highways outside. This particular tunnel went directly from Cynthia's laboratory at Florence Industries to Morpheus Head Engineering Corporation, that tall building in the center of Sloth, whose crown barely graced the edge of the glass dome above. Cynthia walked past the aquatic life below and all around, through the behemoths of hell's aquatic kingdom animalia, and even waved once or twice to the occasional AI or Sloth-exclusive Hellspawn that walked on bridges all around. Sloth was efficient about what type of aquatic life they produced. Wrath was fire and ash, usually the common sight for imps or other scorpion-like demons. Lust was movie stars and stick figures with over-puffy lips and tight dresses. Greed was more machines and reptilian folk. Envy was always more medieval and Sloth was aquatic, with fish-people hybrids, even allowing space for other crustaceans. Gluttony was just some kind of human-like creature. But even Cynthia wasn't immune to this regulation. Despite her more humanoid appearance, her red demon horns remained present in her sea of white hair, which would seldom brush into her face for fear of being cut. Beneath her lab coat's collar were a neat row of gills. I do admit, Cynthia thought to herself, maintaining a good pace down the hallway. Those gills of mine do quiver a bit now. It's been a hot second since Eleanor. I wonder if I shouldn't check in on her. Dr. Cynthia snatched a key card from her tool belt upon arriving at a metal door at the entrance to the Great Tower above. She swiped the titanium white and sky blue keycard along the bar, and when the green button on the lock flashed white, the door slid open and Cynthia stepped through into her own office, overlooking the southern portion of Sloth. Her office was something of a fun little playground, full of machines, desktops, and plenty of other fun little devices. 3D printers, vinyl cutters, shop machines, everything one would need to mix and match and customize their office was there for you. Dr. Cynthia flipped around her desk to a bouncy bubble chair, as she spun as the bubble seat generated a chair-like back behind her. Cynthia swirled around, lost endlessly in entertainment and thrill, until she stopped herself, looking out over the city far below her. The city of Sloth was built all the way up to the dome, with almost a megameter worth of land to fill up. Granted, some houses and facilities needed to be built outside or even within the dome, but those places were used more for hydroelectric engineering and experimental purposes. The doctor stood up and strolled through her office, snapping the lights on and tilting her glasses up to shield from the light. "Ah, I gotta remember to leave the lights on more often, she told herself. Cynthia brushed some stray hair out of her face, then opened a door into her compartment quarters off the office. They were relatively small, with a bed pressed against the wall, a sink, and a cabinet above the window out. But Cynthia was more concerned with the present inhabitant in her laboratory. Just as she had found him in the elevator, drenched and covered in a pile of salt from the deep ocean outside, the Sin Hunter, who currently is, were remained in her sleeping apparatus... Cynthia was admittedly an ethical dilemma. She could turn the mercenary in and receive plenty of credit and go down in history as perhaps one of hell's most famous members of the hierarchy, but then there were still questions that she personally wanted to answer. Why him? What was this sinner's purpose down here in hell, and how would they manage to elude the finest hierarchy in this entire godforsaken wasteland? Cynthia blacked in her window and knelt down, gently resting her fingers on the brim of the Sin Hunter's fedora. Every muscle in the doctor's body was quivering with excitement, the possibility of anything being under this fedora. Finally, Cynthia willed herself to remain calm. and In a swift motion, she removed his fedora and stepped back, surprised. Uh, wow. Okay, so he's not... Hideous, she remarked, adjusting her new glasses. Cynthia's expression shifted again into wonder as she inspected the fedora in her hands, flopping the brim around. Now, this here, what is this even made of? It took a bullet or a laser dart to the brim and just ricocheted off. This has to be some solid stuff. And yet, it bends and flops like leather. Cynthia made a proper demonstration by waving the fedora around in the air. It jiggled and waved everywhere it went. That is, until Cynthia drove it into her locker, when it solidified and made a solid ringing noise. What? What is this? What is going on? As the doctor began to drool over the endless possibilities of this newfound material, exiting her compartments and closing the door behind her, Jack slowly woke up. First, it was one eye upon hearing some machines. Then came the realization that he didn't want to get out of bed and would rather prefer to stay there for a few more minutes. Finally, two eyes opened, seeing the room he was in. It was compact, like a bunker almost, but with at least one window, though blacked in. Jack shifted slightly, careful in his plate, careful in his pace to avoid making any noise. He realized after some moments that his fedora was gone. Thinking quickly and in anxiety, the Hunter whipped out a bandage packet from his tool belt, and he wrapped his face up, sitting as he did. <sighs> okay, okay, um, think. Where were you last? And more importantly, where are you now? Doesn't matter. The only way out is either through that window or the door, and believe me, the Sin Hunter it, reasoned, standing up and inching closer to the frame of the door from the inside of the bunker, I would much rather cause less property damage than necessary. Jack exited the room, clamping one gloved hand on the doorframe and looking around slowly, his head still woozy from the salt water. The outer room was adorned with a lot of surprisingly childish decorations, like posters, plushies on a desk in the middle of the room, and other quirky little details. The Hunter stepped further out, looking at the numerous windows, which encircled the room and kept the office in a constant light. Jack crept cautiously through the walking space, but his heart couldn't help but lock up when a voice spoke from the corner of the room. You know, those bandages are extremely unnecessary. The Sin Hunter uh, spun around, keeping one hand on his revolver, but the light snapped even brighter, revealing Dr. Cynthia, who sat in her bubble chair, holding an iPad in one hand and a glass of some kind, kind of neon green drink. She took a sip before standing up, almost at Jack's height. And you're a bit taller than I imagined, the Sin Hunter nodded, fastening his belt and watching as the doctor's eyes met with his own, her eyes flashing beneath her glasses. The two maintained eye contact, not daring to say a word to the other. But Jack was the first to break the silence. Hmm. Nice office, he said, looking around. Cynthia nodded, and for once, despite their up-to-the-point hated rivalry, something strange happened. She was smiling. Jack was, admittedly, taken by surprise at this. But Cynthia laughed and tossed her iPad onto a desk nearby. (laughs) Why the long face? You're perfectly fine right where you are. Jack blinked, but he nodded with caution, crossing his arms. Okay, sitting in the arms of the enemy, but sure, I've been through worse. Cynthia walked to her desk and reached one of her hands out, to which Jack flinched slightly. Cynthia breathed a sigh of relief. (sighs) Well, at least I can expect you to still be cautious. Jack, who understood a little more of the situation, decided to take a deep breath and lean back in on a chair. Cynthia unwrapped the bandages around Jack's face, and slowly, his features began to show. Slitted gold eyes gazed out from behind charred, half-burnt skin, and plenty of gashes on his face. Cynthia peered further past the scars, and couldn't help but marvel at how their rivalry had changed. Poor thing. That must have been some adventure after that fiasco and greed. What happened? The doctor asked, bundling up the bandages as she tossed them in the trash. Jack clutched his head and walked around the office, combing his fingerless gloved hands through his hair. (sighs) I couldn't tell you. All I recall is getting into an alleyway a few minutes away from the casino and crashing next to a trash can. Next thing I knew, the sin hunter continued, staring out a window, I found myself in Wrath in a prison cell. Cynthia nodded, going through some papers and notes on her primary desk. Hmm. Well, that certainly explains where all your scars came from. I hope the heat wasn't too bad. Jack nodded, smiling as he turned to face the doctor. It wasn't. And getting out of there was shockingly easy. <sighs> Cynthia made her way over to the Sin Hunter, standing right beside him as she kept her iPad in her left hand. You know, you're an... Odd case. Do you know that? Sin Hunter turned in surprise, but nodded, agreeing with the situation. (laughs) That's not the first time I've heard that. You know, this was not what I was expecting Hell to be. Not at all. Cynthia dropped her pen on her desk and walked towards the recovering Sin Hunter at the window, sliding closer. Well, what did you have in mind? she asked. Jack shrugged. "'I don't know, maybe more of wrath and pride, less of this?' he said, tilting his head to one side. "'Hell isn't exactly a place where you go to be distinguished or fancy.'" The doctor couldn't help but smile as she looked at the new figure in her office. "'Well, before you go any further, I suggest you put some new clothes on. Don't want to make a scene tonight at work.'" Jack turned around, confused, as a bundle of white cloth was tossed his way. "'Uh, excuse me?' the Sin Hunter asked, catching the bundle." Cynthia groaned and adjusted her glasses as she took off her lab coat. (sighs) There's this annual thing that my boss usually throws, and that's in 15 minutes. If we take the private access tunnels, we can get there through his customary guest check-in. Jack stopped, concerned at that moment. When you say your boss, are we sure we're talking about big guy, armor, tentacles, pirate stuff? Yeah, that's him. I assume you already met him whenever you dumped me off the first time you beat my head in. Jack nodded in sarcasm, throwing the new lab coat over his old, dusty trench coat. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, that's just perfect. Cynthia strove back over to the Sin Hunter, taking every opportunity to flash her new experiments around the workplace. She grabbed a box from under her desk and pulled out a tie. I don't know how likely it will be if anyone sees you and mistakes you for an employee, but if someone does ask, just tell them you work under Dr. Cynthia's division. Jack nodded, and then, as he finished tying up the look, he held out his hand. Cynthia stopped a turn and looked down at the outstretched hand, then up at the Sin Hunter's face. Jack, he said, with a quivering hesitation to his tone. Cynthia reached her own hand out and nodded, taking the gloved hand in hers. Okay, who's Jack? Sin Hunter nodded and closed his eyes as he spoke. That's my name. My apologies if I hadn't told you earlier, but those were different times. Cynthia shook her head and brushed some white curls out of her face. "'Oh, don't you worry. I get it. Look, I may still blame you for my mistakes, and you can't convince me of that otherwise,' the doctor nodded, pointing a finger at the Sin Hunter. "'But... if this is how fate wants us to be, I've never been one to run from a challenge. So, I suppose, at the very least, it would be outrageously rude of me if I ignored you ignored you, or said nothing more than you. get the hell away from me, right?' Jack nodded, then shifted around his new acquaintance's shoulder to her desk, looking at the fedora sitting neatly on a stack of paper. "'Oh, I'm gonna need that back,' he said, reaching for his hat. But as he did, Dr. Cynthia stopped him, extending her own hand out to grab his. "'Uh-uh, not yet, big boy. I might need that.' Jack turned in confusion and a bit of irritation to the doctor. "'Excuse me?' he growled. Cynthia shifted her glasses over to Jack, and for a moment, you could almost see some hints of desperation in her eyes please, even if it's just for a moment? Jack, whose fist had grown clenched, now let his grip hang loose, and he sighed, shaking his darkened hair and putting one hand to the thin stubble that connected to his sideburns. <sighs> all right. But why do you need it? That hat's nothing more than the most valuable piece of clothing in all of hell? That's right. Jack stopped, knowing the full answer to why that was, but he chose to play along instinctively, kicking up against the wall and brushing some dust from his jacket. Before we go any further, could you stop interrupting you? Cynthia asked cheekily. Uh, Yes, that, Jack nodded, rolling his eyes as he kicked back. Cynthia, meanwhile, inspected the fedora from every angle, spinning around the cool features. Amazing. This thing is breezy and lightweight, yet it stays on your head really well and deflects literal grenades and shotgun shells. This, need I remind you, buddy, Cynthia said, averting her attention from the piece of cloth and metal to Jack, who continued to gaze intently at her, is not your average hellish material. How did you get your grubby little sinner hands on something this high tech? The Sin Hunter shrugged, kicking away from the wall as he fastened his lab coat on over his gloves. Well, to get all philosophical on you, it just popped into existence. Cynthia stopped fiddling with her collar, then turned in surprise. What do you mean, popped? Didn't you get it from some museum or a store? Jack shrugged, turning to a window as he held his own fedora again. When you die, do you usually die with something a bit more gruesome or hellish, reflecting what you died with? The doctor remained confused for a moment zipping her mouth shut as she shook her head, scribbling furiously on her iPad. now. This is so far beyond intriguing for me. Because the answer to your question, pal, she nodded, locking eyes again with the Sin Hunter, is no. No, they do not. If Jack wasn't awake before, he most certainly was now. Because deep inside, he had a suspicion where Cynthia's train of thought was taking her. And it was about to unlock every question she'd ever had about him. "'No, sinners don't usually die and half-reincarnate as whatever they were wearing. "'No, that's more of good people and whatever they...,' she said before trailing off and turning around to Jack. "'As she approached from her bubble chair, standing up and walking to rock eyes with the detective, "'there came upon her a new, almost concerned expression. "'You're not supposed to be in hell, are you?' "'Jack nodded, crossing his arms as he shifted in his spot.' His boots added a bit more height, but the two were almost equal in their stride. "Hmm. Well, there you go, Jack said, waving a hand out. Guess you can finally stop begging me for answers, because that's going to cover pretty much everything you might know about me. Cynthia nodded, ditching her monitor on a nearby couch. It absolutely does, but the main thing I have to say now is something you might not hear from any other demon in hell. Jack walked over to the doctor's side facing another window out into the city, the eastern side of Slothnell. And that is? he asked. Cynthia turned, and for a moment, the two felt a massive wave of tension brush past. I need to apologize. For a lot of things. The crude and just behavior I've caused you is among one of the bigger ones. It was harsh, unsettling to be sure, and I'm certain that you're scared or somewhat afraid of this life. Jack shrugged and nodded. In truth, he felt rather undi- indifferent about his situation. He wasn't exactly afraid, but he was far from within his comfort zone. <sighs> You're anything but wrong. Hell isn't usually the place for someone like me, and I guarantee you, I've already begun working a plan out of here. Dr. Cynthia set herself in place and turned, grabbing her lab coat and throwing open the door into the hallway. Jack turned taking his fedora from the desk and sliding it down the back of his own lab coat like some kind of shoe. Now where are you going? He asked, rushing after his new acquaintance. So there you go. Another episode. Another bit of work done. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if I'll be able to do many more of these episodes in the coming future. School has already started and even though I'm already a week in, it's going to get hard really fast. Even so, I'll stick with it. I'll keep with you guys. I'll hold out fast. And in the meantime, if you don't mind, I'd like to receive some feedback. Not just about the writing anymore, no, but... (sighs) The Sin Hunter is a project that I feel very passionate about, and it's something that I want to continue sharing with the world. The problem with that is, from here in the confines of this... Room, I suppose you could call it, recording an episode every now and then, The Sin Hunter isn't a very popular topic, and I would love to hear your thoughts and what you would like to hear from me. I want to make The Sin Hunter popular. I want it to be something that, if push comes to shove, I might be able to do something with on YouTube. I'd like ideas, and as faithful members who have stuck with this show for a long time, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Let me know whatever you'd like, and I'll leave a couple of links to some places where you could go to leave feedback. Sort of anything you'd like. That's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I appreciate all of the effort that you've put in, and, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your evening for this Labor Day, folks.